I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome back to a brand new episode of Popcorn Podcast with Lee and Tim, where we're excited to bring you our take on June Part 2. I'm Timmy Fland, movie buff. And I'm Lee Livingstone, entertainment journalist. And we love to talk all things movies. Especially sexy sci-fi. <laughs> sexy sci-fi. Here we go. June Part 2 continues the mythic journey of Paul Atreides as he unites with Chani and the Freeman while on a path of revenge against those who destroyed his family. Facing a choice between the love of his life and the fate of the known universe, he endeavours to prevent a terrible future that only he can foresee. June Part 2 is again directed by Denis Villeneuve from a screenplay by Villeneuve and John Spates that's based on the book by Frank Herbert. June Part 2 stars Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Rebecca Ferguson, Josh Brolin, Austin Butler, Florence Pugh, Dave Bautista... Christopher Walken, Leia Seydoux, Stellan Skarsgård, Charlotte Rampling, and Javier Bardem. Oh, my God. You know, we lost so many in the first one. They added a few more in. <laughs> they added a few more. <laughs> yeah, the roll call is not uh, shorter for a no. part two. It's even longer. Now, Lee, let's just think back about June part one because that took the world by storm mm. right back in 2021. It took yep. home six Academy Awards. It, it was nominated for Best Picture and it didn't get nominated for Best Director, which people had a lot to say with because Denis brought to yeah. life an incredible product. And Grieg Fraser, the Aussie cinematographer, took home the Oscar. I mean, it makes sense. What a beautiful, stunning visual mm. film part one was. And we'll talk about what part two has brought to the table from a visual perspective too. Do you know, it's interesting that we've seen it two different ways. 
Mm. So you were lucky enough to see it in IMAX, yes. which is what it's intended for. Yes. Pleb me couldn't make it <laughs> <laughs> to the IMAX screening. So I saw it in, in VMAX, which was still very impressive. Yeah. But the film was shot 100% for IMAX, so it's mm. meant to be seen on the biggest screen possible. What was that experience like for you? It was incredible visually. Strategically, I got there early because <laughs> it was a sold-out session and you do not want – to have to fork out hundreds of dollars in chiropractic appointments be sitting at the front of an <laughs> yes. IMAX cinema because you'd just be cracking your neck. But, yeah, it was uh, an incredibly immersive experience visually and audibly in that cinema. Yeah, yeah the word epic mm. is not thrown around lightly mm. here and it's being received incredibly well. People just think it's a perfect film. I would disagree slightly. Yeah, it's interesting to unpack this with you. It's fantastic. Mm. It's really fantastic. There are a couple of things that I would like to discuss in this episode, I think. Um, Me too, Lee. <laughs> let's discuss that. Hey, do you want to start a <laughs> podcast and talk about movies oh, in, in this way? Have constructive conversations? <laughs> that's a great idea. First of all, it definitely helps to watch the first Dune. Completely agree okay, with that. Because this one picks up just a few hours after the events of the first film. Mm, mm. Yeah. D- so did you take the time, or have the time rather, <laughs> uh, to watch part one again before get throwing yourself into this? Not right before, but I had seen it not long before, just coincidentally. Right. So it was in the back of your mind, things yeah. you kind of were able to join those political dots together or, or yes. that sort of context. I saw it maybe four days before part two. <laughs> That's close. Uh, on the big screen, and yeah. I was so grateful for that. So if there's any... Any piece of advice, no matter how you come out at the end of part two, mm. enjoying it or not, go see part one before because it will really help your experience. Yeah, but there is a handy bit of exposition from Princess Irulan, played by Florence Pugh at the beginning. Yeah, she helps. It's a like bit. it's like Starlog one hundred and one, isn't it, Captain Picard <laughs> style? Yeah, <laughs> they did the same thing in the first film under the guise of Paul being taught history mm. of the planet. And Charney also recounting the oppression of her people. So that's how you got the history and all that, all that backstory. Because there's a lot to fit in. Oh Frank Herbert's book is so richly detailed. Mm, mm. Books, I should say. There's so much to pack in. But Denis Villeneuve is obviously a big fan of the material and he has worked so hard to get in as much as he can. Absolutely. Well, so much indeed that they had to split the first book this is based on into two films. Yeah. And part of, I guess, the slight criticism of some is that Dune part one didn't really amount to much of a climax yeah. or whatever. It just kind of fell off a fell off a cliff and so much more of the mm. story was untold. Obviously we're receiving that in part two yeah. where it's all headed. So it definitely needed to be split over two movies because yeah. there is so much rich content there. A lot more action in the second film. Uh, see, that's something, yes. Okay. It's, it's someone's like, what are you talking about, Tim? Why are you challenging the <laughs> lack that there's a lack of action? It was very, very much peppered through the two hour 46 runtime. Yeah. So I went in actually expecting more action that I received. Okay. Every time action came on the screen, my God, it was insane. Yes. Like I appreciated and loved every minute of it, but I actually, I don't know, maybe I'm being greedy. Maybe I thought there was going to be. More action. Right. Mm. Okay. Mm. I did find the climactic battle between uh, Paul Atreides mm. and Fade Rautha yeah. to be a little anticlimactic. It seemed yes. to be over very quickly. Yeah. That, it was amazing, but it was, yeah, yeah, it was over pretty quick, you're right. Mm. You know, fitting so many richly interesting characters into two and a half hours or two hours 46, as you said, mm. I found it hard to get to know any of them beyond mm. the Charney and 
Paul show. No. <laughs> Chani loves Chachi. Chani yeah, loves Paul. Chani loves Chachi. <laughs> Charlie loves Paul. Yeah. Do you think then it suffered under the weight of its world building where introducing new characters were kind of maybe not footnotes, but they weren't given the platform that we may have expected? Yeah. I mean, what were the motives of the Bene Gesserit in this one? They were confusing. I mean, you do know, but it, it, it's mm. touched on very lightly. Mm. And mm. the female empowerment angle is interesting, mm. but there's no time to explore what strings that they're pulling here. Mm. I mean, if mm. you know the story, if you're a big fan of June, then mm. you know exactly what's going on. Yes, yeah. But then that's speaking to a, a very specific audience. And an, a different kind of engaged audience yeah. as well. But I didn't know what strings they were pulling here beyond mm. a bit of sly seduction by Leia Seydoux's Lady Fenring. Then there's this secret genetic connection that's revealed very casually at one point and then thrown off to the side. So I actually don't understand that because it seemed to just come out of nowhere, happen really fast. And because it's very much towards the end of the movie, I was lost. I was like, so who's daddy? Who's related? Who's like, what's going on here? Yeah. So obviously, And what, what does it mean? What does it mean? Got no idea. I, I was actually hoping, we can't obviously talk about this no. on the pod. This is a spoiler-free episode, friends, but I'm hoping you can help me join join the dots there because I was um, a bit confused by okay. that. Unclear. So yeah, so to the average cinema goer who is not familiar with this story, mm. There are some gaps in knowledge there. Yeah. And I think that brings me back to the point around the the world building was so immense and it was impressive. Mm. But I did get bogged down in all the political layers right. and, and the complexity to some of those conversations and, and the intention behind things and where people were sitting on the fence and stuff. I I did get a bit lost in what mm. where people were coming from sometimes and what their motivations were. Did you feel a bit lost in the politics or could you follow yes. along pretty Beyond, beyond the main mission, I mm. guess, the story is fueled more by the revenge plot of Paul mm. in this one and the mm. rebellion of the Freeman people. Yeah. Um, whereas the first one was more about colonialism and oppression. Mm. So I got that larger sense of that central theme. But the other things that were going on around it seemed to be really like trying to mash it into the story. Yeah. How did you feel about the pacing as a result of that? I was at odds with how they were piecing the film together. It felt very okay. episodic. Little scene here, next little scene there, next little scene there. Because you have to cover so much ground and so many things happening in so many mm. different locations. Because I was sitting there going, okay, because the groundswell of this movie is, is incredible. It's got a 9.0 rating on IMDb. People yeah. are frothing over it. Yeah. Like insane. As I said, perfect film is just being thrown around. Yeah. yeah. And I was sitting there really being challenged and I'm not going to lie. Obviously we've been doing this for almost five years now. I was nervous <laughs> coming into this mm. and I'm kind of relieved that we're, we seem to be on similar pages around we're impressed and there's so much to enjoy. But there are things about this movie where I'm like, did you think as a sci-fi fan as I am yeah. that I was going to be like, it's perfect, how dare you say anything otherwise? And ding, 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 round one, I was ready for it. But I, <laughs> but I was still I was still nervous because I wanted to elevate your feeling of the movie yeah. and not bring you down. I was just really conscious of this conversation actually and, and the haters <laughs> coming for me. <laughs> Don't come for us. Uh, uh, visually, I would call it a perfect film. I completely agree. Visually in the set design, production design, the directing – Mm. It it is perfect, absolutely perfect. But I mean, like, it's not. I guess saying that there's some holes in the story, or not holes in the story, but things that weren't explored properly. Yes. I guess yeah. is definitely a casualty of trying to fit this immense world mm. 
into two films. And that's thing I find interesting as well is that Denis Villeneuve has obviously proved himself with the first one. Yeah. Okay. James Cameron gets five films for Avatar right <laughs> off the bat. Why hadn't they greenlit more films for yeah. Denis Villeneuve? And it's interesting that he took the gamble and was plotting this one, mm. left the first one on a cliffhanger and was mm. plotting the second one before getting greenlit. And he's done the same for the, you know, the third one that's potentially coming. Dune part two ends on a cliffhanger too. How did you feel about that? Oh, like slightly annoyed. Yeah. Um, because, <laughs> uh, because part one sort of just ended and then mm. part two, I'm like, so what do you mean <laughs> the story's not over yet? Yeah. And maybe that, that's my naivety coming in without any preconceived notion about the story of Dune. I've not watched the original films from mm. the 80s and the TV shows that they've made. Uh, weirdly with James McAvoy, he's in one of the mm. yeah, Dune children or the children of the <laughs> corn dunes or I don't know. The children of the <laughs> corn dunes. It's a bit more water in that series that can grow corn. Uh, no, I digress. Um, so, yeah, I was uh, I was excited for what's to come, I suppose. Yeah. I'm still invested in where this is leading. But for sure. I was a bit like, oh, okay, I guess we've got to wait again. How did you feel about that? Yeah, it feels unfinished. Because it is. Because <laughs> <laughs> it is. And like I said, if James Cameron can be mm. approved for five films over decades, yeah. give this guy a chance. Because, you know, like I think we're there now. What elevates a director to mm. the upper echelons? What makes a good director mm. great? Right? Is it style? Is it substance? Is it the way of working? Is it knowing the material inside and out? Is it taking the time to do things right and not just pumping out sequel after sequel? Yeah. Is it a passion for the genre? Denis Villeneuve has all of this. He is the perfect storm of what makes a great yeah. director. And he proved it on part one and I think he cemented that great yes. director status in part two because he plays so well in all those things that you listed off. And although we don't think it's a perfect film, my God, it's a bloody good one though. It really, really is. Mm. And I just want to take a moment to pat us on the back because okay. I did listen <laughs> I did listen back to our first review okay. before doing this episode. Yeah. And we can say his name right now. In the first one, we totally butchered it. It was like Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis the Menace. Dennis the Menace. Oh, no. That's really cringe, actually, isn't it? <laughs> We're growing constantly on the pod. Yeah. <laughs> I think we got his last name right, but we just called him Dennis. <laughs> Denise. No, I think it was like Denise. Denise. It's Denise. <laughs> oh, what did we, we were saying? Denise. Dennis. <laughs> Dennis. Dennis from New Zealand. Oh, no, we're going to offend our oh, New yeah, Zealand okay. audience again. No, that no, happens no. far too often. We have talked previously about how Villeneuve works. Mm. He prefers filming with one camera, right? Yeah, mad. But <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. You can't do that on a film like this. No. But the sheer scale of Dune requires working with multiple units. Mm. And on this one, they had an entire worm unit. I'm sorry. <laughs> to capture the complex shots of the action sequences that that featured worms. <laughs> so sorry, I'm I'm, ex I'm I'm imagining them on the first day of production going, "All right, so the names we're going to list, you are part of the worm unit." <laughs> Lee Livingstone, step forward. <laughs> worm unit, first AD. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, thanks. I'm the first AD. <laughs> you are. Thanks for that. I, I like to think I, I can be upper management. <laughs> you can. Nail it. Yeah. 
But our hero finally riding his own sandworm is a showstopper set piece of the film, so it mm. really has to look good. And it apparently took days to set the special effects for that one, and the actors had, like, sand blasting in their faces while they rode a replicated section of, of one of these worms. My God, did it look impressive. It was so, like cinematic. There's a lot of this hyperbole that we're going to throw mm. at you with this movie, but it's a, such a crucial part of the film from a story perspective because you have to believe, as well as the Fremen people have to believe, that Paul Atreides can, one, ride a worm, it, all those steps to fulfilling mm. this prophecy of him being the one and the Messiah and all, all that sort of religious come in, hello, I'm Jesus vibes. Um, <laughs> so it was truly a crucial point in the story and for mm. a character it had to be perfect for the audience as well. Yeah, but it looks absolutely thrilling mm. because they did so much in camera and mm. that's really important to Villeneuve as well. He yes. he works in camera. If it was just CGI the crap out of it. I mean, not to say there isn't CGI in this film because you, you, you have to. You have mm. to. Yeah, yeah. What do you mean? The, those spaceships coming down into <laughs> Abu Dhabi desert aren't pew, real? Pew, pew. <laughs> They're not real lasers? <laughs> <laughs> Freaking lasers on their head. <laughs> Freaking... Which sucks with freaking laser beams on their freaking heads. Sand, Sand sharks. sharks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. maybe that's in June, Messiah. We introduced yeah. to a new uh, friend or foe. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. No, but it looks absolutely thrilling because they've taken the time to do all of this really practically. And yeah. it, my God, it just looks fantastic. It is incredible. I mean, we, we have to call out some of the people behind this. Uh, Patrice Vermette, who's the production designer. We mentioned Greg Frazier, who's the DOP, delivering mm. the incredible visual aesthetic, visual language of mm. Denis. They're paired up again. It's just an incredible team. And, you know, it's such a shame that Fraser doesn't make the qualifying cutoff for this year's Oscars because he... Why? Because the film came out now instead of oh, December. Oh, my God, duh. December 2023 is the cutoff. Mm. He absolutely would have taken away another Oscar. For this film. Do you know what? I completely forgot that June Part 2 is meant to come out like October, November of mm. 23. Gee, the Oscar race would have looked very, very different yep. this year, wouldn't it? Oppenheimer move aside. Yeah. Yeah, shit. for sure. The shot planning and the colour grading mm. in this film is phenomenal. Isn't it striking? Like you need a new word for phenomenal. It's just absolutely <laughs> outstanding. And mm. each set piece is a completely different world and it feels like it. Mm. You know, Harkonnens, they live in a dystopian black and white industrial planet called Giddy Prime. Mm. And even the fireworks that were going off on that world look like explosions of oil in the sky. Yes, I was trying to figure out how to describe that in my own words. That's the perfect description. It's incredible. And, and colour doesn't exist in this world, so it's all black and white. Isn't it incredible how you go from the rich like reds and oranges and yellows of the desert, and then you mm. get thrown into this world for a scene or two. It's like the yeah. juxtaposition is incredible. But both make you feel the searing heat yes. of the planet in different ways. My understanding is, and I think the Baron mentioned something about the moon that resides over their planet, mm. which is why that's where the light, that particular unique light is coming from that we mm. experience um, with the characters on their planet. It's it's worth noting as well that all of the set pieces in this film are new. All mm. of them. Mm. They didn't revisit anything from the first one. And that's an expensive undertaking. <laughs> it's very you can't expensive. just reuse sets <laughs> from the first film. Do you remember stuff. what the budget is from this film? 190 million US. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And they spend every penny of that, don't oh, they? You can see yes, it. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. 
But it all feels completely fresh, mm. but also a cohesive continuation of the saga visually. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Are people getting lost in the visuals though? Let me let me play devil's advocate for a second. Sure. I mean, we we talk about the cliffhanger films and and setting up future films and stuff. Mm. But yeah, is 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 the visuals overpowering the sort of failings in the story and the setup? I completely agree. And you know what? It's it's understandable because they are so incredible. Mm. I think you can compare the visual experience and the reaction of audiences to uh, Avatar The Way of Water mm. because visually that couldn't be any more different to Dune. I mean, no. we spend it on water and versus uh, the sand in the desert. And But there are failings in James Cameron's script. You know, it doesn't yeah. all come together perfectly. But again, his is the product of there's multiple more stories and films to come as as with Dune. So not everything's going to be wrapped up in a bow. But see, Avatar, I would argue, feels like a cohesive story on its own. So even if another Mm -hmm. film doesn't come, you feel like that story was wrapped up. Complete enough. Do you think? Oh, there are some things from a character perspective where you can see where they're headed, but they're certainly not right. over. Okay. But yeah, I hear what you're saying. Um, mm. Maybe it is a, a bit more contained than June. June is very much like there is much more to say here. Yeah. yeah. And also in terms of the filming though, think about how quickly the sun sets and how many sunset sequences or sunrise sequences there are and how like how long they would have had to have spent capturing yes. those moments at the exact right time on the you know the sand dunes of Abu Dhabi where yeah. they filmed chasing the light how incredible hurry up and wait like you're waiting all day to get this one shot yeah there no toilet breaks when <laughs> you have such a minimal window in the morning or dusk or the evening yeah. to get that stuff you know that's what i admire so much about filmmaking mm. there are so many projects where it's probably cheaper and quicker to just do that in post or capture that aesthetic or that mm. feeling through uh, a lighting rig. But these guys are chasing our son to deliver something yeah. for an audience and for the actors to live and breathe in. And you can feel it. Yes. You can absolutely feel it on the screen. It looks gorgeous. Before we move on to the characters in the cast mm. section of the episode, can I just say Hans Zimmer? That's all. Say no yeah. more. <laughs> I'm still vibrating again. Need I say more? No. Uh, The man has scored more than 500 projects at this point in his career. It's insane. It includes Top Gun Maverick, No Time to Die, Gladiator, Thelma and Louise, The Dark Knight. I could just go on and on and on. But when you hear the music in Dune, gosh, it transports you. It really does. His theming is incredible. Mm. It, It places you in a feeling, a familiar feeling from the first one. Just a lot of, oh, <laughs> <laughs> that's a terrible uh, interpretation of that. But it is really, really moving. And all the new themes with the new characters and yeah. some of the worlds, like you said, we're going to all different new places here. Mm. So his soundscape is familiar yet completely new yep. at the same time. Oh, it's incredible. He's amazing. Timothy Chalamet. Paul Atreides. Paul Atreides, the hero of the piece. Mm. He begins to shed some of his moral ideals in Mm. this one. He starts to compromise a little bit and his eyes are open to the tough choices that he has to make. Charney calls him sincere Mm. at one point, but that starts to unravel as he becomes more forceful and finds more and more power in his position. He drinks his own Kool-Aid, basically. Yeah. (laughs) He starts to believe his own shit. And also quite literally as well at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It looks like yeah. Kool-Aid, doesn't it? It does. Worm juice. Worm juice. 
Timothy Chalamet mm. delivering a very different performance. Very different. Think about when he started this film, how much younger he was in the first film. Mm-hmm. Now in this one, he's a completely different actor. He's grown so much in his craft. Mm. It really does show. It does. He does a fantastic job. The gravitas of his work is really felt here. He's mm. cementing himself because he's never really been a leading leading man, a leading actor. You don't think so? In a, well, like he has, but he's never taken on such a huge grand project like the yes. Dune movies before. And yes, his character is, is a, he's learning a lot. He has a lot to learn about politics, about mm. the world, about his place in it. And he's kind of been thrown into this sort of, the prophecy is about you, mm. whether you want to believe it or not or embrace it or not. So we do see some incredible leaps and bounds in his character arc here. And, He's really powerful in this. Yeah. Mm. So Chalamet is taking the leaps and bounds yeah. alongside his character, he really. Is. He's tormented between venging his father and his family, mm. but then also kind of listening to what his fate is, mm. listening to like the torn Fremen people, those that believe that he mm. is the prophet and those that don't. So he's juggling a lot of inner mm. turmoil because he wants to do the right thing for those people. Yeah. He wants to fight back, but it's like, what's the path he's going to take? And towards the end, he maybe starts to lose his way a little bit. It's a bit scary. I was actually a bit scared mm. uh, by him in this, which I don't think is a bad thing. Zendaya has gone a step up from Chani staring into the distance for two hours, <laughs> yeah. as we said in the first episode. It's great to actually see her. In the movie. (laughs) Uh, She gets a lot more action in this one, which is really impressive. She's great. And uh, Chani's relationship with Paul is obviously Mm. explored a lot more. Mm. She acts as his moral compass, Mm. I guess. Can we just talk about Paul and Chani about, did you believe their love story? Were you invested in that? How quickly they fell in love? Well, okay. So hold that thought. The passage of time, Mm. along with pacing, I really struggled with understanding how much time had passed, how long Mm. they were out in the desert, the time between all those fantastic guerrilla warfare Mm. pieces that they do and taking down the the spice trucks or whatever Mm. you call them. And so that impacted how quickly they fell in love. So I actually don't know, did it happen fast or not? I guess it couldn't have been much longer than months maybe because... Lady Jessica's pregnant. Pregnant. And you, yes, that was really the only clear visual mm. stimulus for me going, oh, okay, so she's about six months pregnant now. So that's how long it's been. And that's something that's different from the books because in mm. the books she has had the baby and she's traveling with the baby. Oh, okay. When they first meet up with the Freeman and they travel across the desert. That's really different. So it's very different. Yeah. Can we, sorry, can we just talk about the bear bear? We, we don't want to spoil anything though. No, no, no. I, I know. I think I know what you mean. Mm. Were you uncomfortable how much <laughs> we went inside the womb and looked at the embryo? Yeah. Like the fetus? The fetus. Fetus cam? Like, does the fetus have a, like, who was the fetus? Who Whose cast is the fetus? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, we spent an uncomfortable amount of time seeing this baby grow inside her. And mm. it, it actually distracted me. Right. Um, I guess not for me because I've just had a baby and I know what quite it beautiful for looks you, like. <laughs> yeah. No, like I'm well, not. I mean, my baby wasn't speaking to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want me to have another packet of cheese twisties? Okay. <laughs> cheese twisties? Oh, apparently, that's what my mum's craving was with oh, us. Really? Yeah, cheese twisties. I love cheese twisties. Mine was red delicious apples. Oh, that's mm. like really niche. I love them. They were nice and sweet. Oh, that's healthy. Yeah. Nice. Not when you have like as many as I had. <laughs> It's like this massive basket of apples. 
be like the, the news story, Woolworths a shortage in red apples. And you're like, <laughs> it's like the toilet paper of the, of, of over oh, COVID. <laughs> You've got, got a boot full of red apples. apples. Oh dear. <laughs> um, yeah, no, look, I, I wasn't put off by like the embryo, whatever. I'm not grossed out by that. Oh, okay. But I was like, okay, so why are we chilling with this baby again? Like visually in the film it just happened like yeah. 10 times i just didn't understand do you know what made me uncomfortable chani and paul having sex <laughs> on a sandy planet and all i thought was sandy oh crack sandy crack sandy crack <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. not that i have any particular experience with that but it just looked uncomfortable maybe they've adapted with the friction like maybe <laughs> evolution is on their side because sand ain't anyone's friend like in most contexts <laughs> yeah. let alone Sex. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's. Swiftly. Yeah. Austin Butler as Fade wow. Rowther mm-hmm. is a chameleon. You know, take the piss for his accent work all you like. He'll probably be speaking like Stellan Skarsgård for the next 18 months. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> but I love that he did that. Yeah. He took on the characteristics in his voice and his performance of Skarsgård as the Baron. Mm. Um, who plays, obviously, Butler's character's uncle. Yeah. I mean, they're supposed to be related, so they're supposed to sound alike. I think it was genius. I think his performance was genius and terrifying. He was the best thing about this movie, yeah. from a performance perspective, at least anyway. Mm. I was greatly anticipating what he was going to deliver, and I was both, like, turned on and <laughs> also... Deeply disturbed and unsettled by him. You've got a thing for bald psychopaths, do you? Uh, maybe I do. <laughs> maybe in my mid-30s, that's my thing. And I'll break that to my husband later. But um, <laughs> be like, hey, babe, you should shave your hair <laughs> and kill some people. Yeah, I was just wondering if you want to put on some of this white makeup. And, yeah. Uh, oh, you look great. Yeah, let's just make the... <laughs> June 2 role play in the bedroom. <laughs> Bring your own sand. <laughs> Oh, God. This episode's getting off the rails quickly. Okay. Anyway, not to discount his performance at all. Agree with you. He was immense and brilliant. Mm -hmm. Really, really incredible. Mm -hmm. The Baron himself, Stellan Skarsgård, incredible performance. We said this in the first review, I think, that the Baron fell a little short for Mm -hmm. me. And I think in the first film, it wasn't his performance. It was that he wasn't really introduced until the end. I felt again in this one... There wasn't a lot of development or why we should be afraid of him. Yes. You know, it's people reacting around him that tell you to be frightened of him. Mm. But he's a bit like Jabba the Hutt, where that everyone is terrified of him, but physically he's a bit useless and weak. Yeah, he is. He just kind of floats around on wires. <laughs> Literally. Just take a pair of wire cutters to him and you're fine. <laughs> yeah. Cut him down. <laughs> uh, uh, visually, he is one of the most exciting looking characters because what he does and how he presents is just yes. so freaking weird. Again, visually looks incredible. Visually amazing. I still don't know. Again, maybe it was a piece of dialogue I missed. Like, why does he like chill out in that black goop? Like, I, I don't understand. <laughs> the black goop. The black, like his little swamp. Yeah. Chill, swamp, like Shrek swamp is down there with Shrek. Anyway, that aside, I actually quite find him to be quite a lazy character because you just... Sends off his nephews and other yeah, family to do his bidding. I guess so, yeah. So yeah. where they fail to make him super fearsome, they mm. really succeed with his nephew, well, Fade yeah. Rather. Yeah. Mm. And then you've also got Dave Batista's character. I found all he did was scream mm. in this movie and just shout. Obviously, he's humiliated because he's mm. not succeeding in his plight to reclaim 
the planet yeah. as is instructed. Yeah, Dave Batista didn't have much to do in this one. That's I think the issue with a lot of the side characters in this mm. one. There's not a lot for them to do. Some of them are quite key players. Yeah. So for example, Florence Pugh mm. is quite a key player. But she has nothing much to do besides provide exposition. She's hardly in it. You know, she's someone who's taking control of her family's future. Mm. The character, did you feel that? Uh, not really. Mm. Because the the thing, my criticism about her character needs to be paired with Christopher Walken's Emperor. Mm. So our experience of the Emperor in part one was foreboding. He was mysterious. Mm. He was all controlling. And we never saw him. We never even heard his voice. And he betrayed his closest friend. Yeah. So there's some great rich like mm. text there. And then Christopher Walken comes in. He just He's just there. The em- we just see the emperor. Mm. He's in one of the opening scenes, isn't he? I think he? so, yeah. And I felt like he was quite one note. I wasn't mm. sure how to feel or connect with what the emperor is dealing with, having betrayed someone, I assume making the wrong choice and having to deal with that. So I felt a bit deflated by the Emperor in this. Yeah, it's the same sort of thing with the Baron, I think. And there's Mm. these really powerful men that don't actually seem that powerful. No, but then thank God come in Austin Butler because he actually brought the menace and the power. He kind of elevated where those gaps were in the villain space, I think. Javier Bardem is back as Stilgar, Mm. leader of the Freeman. Unexpected for him to be quite a bit of comic relief in this film. How did you feel about that? I wasn't sure. I mean, it was it was welcome, but there was a lot of it. It was welcome because the rest of the movie is pretty damn serious. Mm. But I felt a bit jarred by his jovial nature, especially considering yep. he was bringing so much insight into the prophecy mm. and, and leading the Fremen or those Fremen trying to convert people and stuff. So it felt a bit at odds with the yeah. tone of the movie at times. I don't know if I would call him jovial because he is such a stoic leader of his people but he's so earnest Mm -hmm. and it's that straight man earnest performance that comes across as quite comical Uh, yeah i I just really want to understand the conversations that denis would have had to build up on that Mm -hmm. tone and that performance because i feel like it was one of those things where i'm just thinking out loud here Take one would have felt very different to take two as Mm-mm. opposed to take three. So I'm, I think there's another version of his performance in there and in, in maybe think? the cutting room floor. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Josh Brolin reappears. Yes. How did you feel about him being back in there? It was nice to be reunited, but that was played down quite a bit as well. Well, it takes quite a long time for him to be reintroduced into the film. I mm. quite liked his character in the first one because of his relationship with Paul Atreides. Mm. That was nice. He comes in guns a blazing though in this one and trying to push Paul to a certain agenda. Mm. So he's kind of come out of nowhere and he, he actually has a lot of control and that was a bit frustrating. But I think that's a good feeling to have because characters have different interpretations. Yeah. They expect things differently of other people. I welcomed his return. I think he's a great character. Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy is in there in a surprise role as well, mm. which we don't want to give away. What did you think of the casting of her? To be honest, I think... In terms of her meeting a need of that character, she visually presents perfectly. Mm. I don't know. There's just something about her intensity that I think Mm. will serve really well in that role. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I think her voice put me off a little bit. Oh, okay. (laughs) When she started talking. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Don't talk. (laughs) I don't know. Something about it didn't Mm. seem to fit quite as well. Yeah. Okay. 
It was very cool to see her in there, though. It was. It was. I thought it was really random that she was showing up on red carpets and stuff because <laughs> I found myself looking at the cast list going, I didn't know Anya Taylor-Joy yeah. was in this movie. It really threw me for a bit. It was a big surprise. Yeah, yeah. it was a big surprise. I want to say props to the stunt team oh, yeah. on this film because like, to be able to launch into a full sprint from a lying physician covered in sand, man, they go hard. Like, have you ever tried to lie down and then go from – Lying down to full sprint, <laughs> no. like a burpee or <laughs> burpee into full sprint. Can I tell you, I do not do burpees. <laughs> burpee averse. <laughs> burpee averse. Oh, geez, they no, they go hard. It's really impressive. Do you know what? It got me every time those bastards stuck in the sand and just popping up out of nowhere. Oh, they've done it again. There they are. They got me and the bad guys. It's very impressive. Yeah, very. But very I wonder how long it takes to set that, and how long yeah. they're just chilling. Literally, eating sand. Eating sand. <laughs> Man. The cast and crew must still be finding sand yeah. all, the, all this time oh, later. Oh, for sure, for sure. You do not pay the stunt team enough for that. <laughs> all right, Tim, shall we wrap up our review of Dune Part 2? I think it's about... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot... We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Time. Well, Dune Part 2 is visually stunning, out-of-this-world filmmaking. Perfection is found in the production design and the set pieces that immerse you in this world of Dune so wholly that you feel the searing heat radiating off the screen. Where it's a little lacking is trying to fit so much detail and so many characters into two films. If James Cameron can make five films, Denis Villeneuve should have already been approved for a few more. (laughs) After the success of the first, we know he can deliver and he does it again. I'm giving June part two, four and a half popcorn kernels out of five. There you go. Denis Villeneuve has delivered a cinematic experience that is rightly so taking the world by storm. It is an astonishing feat of filmmaking and the cliche and hyperbole in seeing it on the biggest screen possible is absolutely warranted. When the film soars, it fully immerses you with insane set pieces, costumes and sound design elevating the action and scope of a world so beautifully realised. Yet I found myself, well maybe not now, uh, feeling a little alone in my sentiments surrounding its choppy and inconsistent pace, the weight of its world building and some jarring editing to piece it all together. And maybe its length, I I did actually feel its length, we didn't talk about that. A second viewing though for me is probably needed, but for now I'm going to rate June Part 2 for Popcorn Kernels. Well there you have it guys, June Part 2 is in Australian cinemas from February 29. And as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. We have a website, popcornpodcast.com. 
make sure you check it out. We've got all our episodes up there for you. If you'd like to get to know us a little better, there's an About Us section and we run ticket giveaways. So keep an eye on the website for more information. They're rainbow burps. <laughs> they are gay burps. <laughs> Mardi Gras! Oh, I only burp in the rainbow. And I sound like Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Poirot. Denis Villeneuve. Denis Villeneuve. Burps in rainbow. You, you murdered the lady. <laughs> <laughs> 